How you doing? Whānau all right? Awesome. Well, look, we, we're still sort of talking a little bit around the theme of standing. Standing and, and, and the idea of, you know, dealing with the opposition that we face in life. And I was, I was uh, watching one of my boys' games of rugby late last year. My youngest son had uh, faced a, a run of injuries. So in year nine, he broke his collarbone. Year nine, form three for those of us who speak in the old vernacular. Year, year nine, form three, he broke his collarbone. Year 10, one of his quad muscles pulled away from the bone. And so he was out, just, just drop kicking the ball, bang. And so he was out for 15 months. And so halfway through year 11 or fifth form, he decided to come and play again. As you can imagine, his confidence had been knocked a bit. But he had this great coach. Man, coaches make a diff- good coaches make a difference. You know, having good men and women speaking into the lives of young people, it's awesome. And, um, and he had a, a team of mates, so he, he got involved and it was great. Uh, and his team, they're all fifth formers, all year 11, and they made the final. And so they got to wear number ones, wear their ties and stuff, representing the school, playing for boys high in the final. And they're playing on number one at boys high, that hallowed turf, you know. So it was very exciting. And so I went down to watch my young fella and uh, got there. And so the team's doing their pre-match drills. And I was quite surprised he, he just sort of started walking over to me. I thought, oh, because normally the boys don't acknowledge me before their games, you know, because they're focused, you know. They're purposed, right. And, um, and he just starts wandering over to me and his body language is all sort of, you know, his shoulders are slumped. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? And he comes over and he just stands in front of me and he's just a few yards away from his mates and he says to me, he says, Dad, can you pray for me? Their 10 is huge. Because he was playing first five, he's playing 10. And I was like, oh, wow. And so he just bows his head and we're standing there five yards from his teammates. So I just put my hand on his shoulder and was just praying, praying for God's protection, his courage, his strength, right? And I was just really surprised at that level of vulnerability from a 15-year-old, you know? So anyway, I wander over to look at this because they're playing a King Country first 15. So often you find with uh, the boys' high sides, they play upper grade. So they're, they're a team of year 11s, but they're playing a team of year 12s, year 13s. And I look at this guy, and he's wearing, well, he's not wearing 10, he's wearing 10 because it's stretched across this broad back that you could watch a movie on at a drive through <laughs> He was 6'5", 6'5", metre 95, about 110, 115 kilos. He was a unit. And um, I, I'm just going, oh, my goodness, yeah. yeah. I go, oh, my goodness. And I thought, crikey, I can see why he was, you know, found it, you know, daunting, eh? Intimidating, scary. And then I saw this other guy wearing 10 who was a little fellow. And I thought, oh, they got two number 10 jerseys in their team. Okay. And the big unit was actually playing number eight. He's playing off the back of the scrum. So I told my, told my son, and I think he felt a little bit better. But as you can see, you know, I watched the game and, and uh, so the number eight ran off him, ran straight at my son right playing at first five and he, he made the tackle, you know, it's proud of him. He gave away 60 kilos on him, uh, 50 kilos, gave away 50 odd kilos on him. It's a big difference, eh? And, uh, and I was really proud of him, you know, making the tackle and playing, but, but more so I think I was proud of the, the openness and the honesty in coming forward in prayer and not worrying about those around him. But for a time, that giant got in his head. That giant got in his head. 
And I was, uh, I was reading what one author had to say about this thing called PSYOPs. You ever come across PSYOPs or psychological operations? It's a, it's a, it's a thing in warfare. Uh, it's been, been in military history, you know, since the dawn of time. And it's about getting into your opponent's head, undermining your, your enemy. And the guy I was reading was talking about an example in the battle strategies of Alexander the Great. So we're going back centuries before Jesus walked the earth. And he says at one time, uh, so he tells a story that at one time when, when Alexander's soldiers were in full retreat, uh, being chased by this much larger army, Alexander gave this uh, instruction to his armourers to build breastplates and helmets that would fit soldiers who were seven feet and eight feet tall. Massive armour. And then just to, and then what they did with that oversized armour was they just left it on the side of the road as they walked left. And then the army pursuing them would see this armour and go, ooh, gee. And they'd start to get demoralised. And they'd start to get disheartened because they didn't really want to face guys who could wear armour that size. And eventually they'd give up the chase because Alexander had got into the head. Psyops. So being able to avoid a battle without drawing any sword. So they'd eventually abandon the chase because Alexander had got into the head. Head games. And the Bible tells us that we have an enemy who also likes to play head games with us, yeah? And uh, often leaving us demoralized by fear or doubt. And an enemy that we often assume is larger than, we actually, than he actually is. And we sang this morning, I may not face Goliath, but I've got my own giant. And so I saw the impact that this giant had on my son. His mere presence. He wasn't even saying anything. There was no mocking words or anything. Just his mere presence robbed him of joy. I'd seen him so excited to play that game. And then suddenly there's this giant looming and all the courage and all the joy he got sucked out of him. And we all struggle in the presence of giants, eh? Whether that's uh, intimidating situations, terrifying circumstances, and the things that instill fear and insecurity in us. I, I often say, you know, so often through the scriptures we read, um, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, don't be afraid, I'm with you, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Why do we keep hearing that? Because God's people were afraid. And they needed to hear, don't be afraid, because God is with us. It's part of living life, eh? It's just dealing with, with the things that, that, that we have to face. And so I reflected on my son's experience at the time. And I was thinking, what do we do when we look up and we're intimidated by what we see? When the giants have got into our heads, what do we do? It might be a call to something new. You know, some people love doing new stuff. Others, it's, ooh, can't think of anything scarier. For others, it's some challenge or obstacle that's arisen. For others, it's a, a financial hurdle or it's a relational difficulty that looms large and it rocks our confidence. So easily intimidates us, robs us of our joy and peace, gets into our heads, and it keeps us from blessing, uh, from, from, from living that blessed life that God intends. For us sitting in this room, whānau, watching online, wherever you are, I think we can all relate to that, Yeah? And I was reading Psalms at the time as I was reflecting on this. I was looking at this concrete situation my son was going through, realizing that it sort of had wider application. I'm reflecting on it. I'm reading Psalms. And 
And I came to Psalm 43, and we're going to read Psalm 43. I, I'm going to have it on the slides in the NIV, because I like it particularly in the NIV. But do follow along in the Bibles that you do have. Um, we're going to read, and we're going to see how this man of faith who writes this psalm, how he deals with the potentially overwhelming and disheartening circumstances that face him. So I'm going to be reading from Psalm 43 in the NIV, but turn with, it, uh, turn with me to Psalm 43 in your Bibles. We're going to read all five verses of it. So, here we go, Psalm 43, reading from verse 1. Straight into it, it's what's known as an individual lament. It's a psalm, he's singing about difficult circumstances. It's not a happy, happy, joy, joy song. He brings his, he comes to God in his pain and his turmoil. So he starts, vindicate me, my God. Vindicate me. Uh, Clear my name. Declare me innocent. Plead my cause. Against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. Uh, They're lying about me. There are lies being spoken about me. Rescue me. Stand up for me. Clear my name. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre on the harp, O God, my God. The final verse, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Lord, by your spirit, speak to us, open our minds to understand our hearts to receive from your word this morning, we pray. So here we are, Psalm 43. And so the psalmist starts by calling for vindication. Now clear my name, rescue me from my enemies and rescue me from the lies that are being spoken about me. And so he's looking, he's taking refuge in God, but by the same token, he's not sure why his enemies seem to have the upper hand. So he trusts God, but there's a struggle raging inside him. You know, why are things so tough? Why, why, this, why is this injustice working? Why are my foes making life so hard? This isn't fair. Where are you in this God? And, and this morning I want to talk about two things that we see the psalmist do that can help us stand against the giants before they can get into our head, right? And they're things, two things that, that are inspired by God and two things that are inspiring for us. And they're two things that we need the help of the Holy Spirit, and his work to do. Things that can help us to face the mocking giants that often face us. Two things this morning from Psalm 43. And so the first thing, this may sound, may sound simple, but it ain't easy. First thing, he speaks to God. He turns to God. We find that in the Psalms. Going through hard times, but instead of just being lost in the negative head talk and that, goes to God. He speaks to God. So let's have a look. Notice he asks God to lead him, not first and foremost out of trouble, but he says, lead me to you. Bring me to you. We see that uh, in verse 3. He asks God to send his light because he knows that he's in darkness. And he asks God to send his faithful care. Or you may have in the NLT, your truth. Well, yes, he says your truth, your faithful care, because he knows God is faithful and reliable and his security comes from the Lord. So lies are being spoken. Lord, send me your truth. And I can anchor myself to that. You know the truth. 
Here I am in darkness, send your light and let them lead me. The psalmist asks for God to lead him to the place ultimately where God dwells. That is, bring me closer to you. Let me, draw me out of the lies and these circumstances that are dragging me down and bring, bring me to where you are. And we read on because you ultimately, Lord, are my joy and my delight. Often we look at the shiny things around us and say, that, that's what will make us happy. And yet, as Pastor Sheridan said, the way we've been designed, our joy and delight can only come from God. Nothing else will fill us. And I've got to practice that because I keep going, yeah, do that, ooh. But actually, it's God alone who is our joy and our delight. This man is threatened by enemies. He's caught in the midst of danger and despair, and yet he declares that all his joy is in God. He lifts his eyes, he lifts his voice, and he speaks to God. And so one way that we can thwart our enemy's psyops against us is we can turn and we can gaze on the greatness and the love of God. We can turn and we can speak to God. We can bring all of our issues, our anger, our sadness, our questions, and we can bring them to God. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a good place. That's a safe place to come to. Amen? And notice that the psalmist in verse 4 declares, I will go to the altar of God. Now, we all know in the, in the Old Testament times, the altar was the place where blood was sprinkled, blood of, of animal sacrifice that made atonement with God and the people could receive forgiveness of God. That's why you'd come to the altar. And this guy wants to get there because he can meet with his loving and gracious God. Because God, you've paved the way to open up the path through the sacrifice that I can come to you. And I can receive the mercy and compassion that I need. And for us today, living in a different time, well, it's the cross. It's because of Jesus and what Jesus has done and who he is. He has born, he has come and lived and borne our sins and died for us and risen again for us. And now he, he stands and he's our great high priest and he intercedes for us. He does, God has done everything. We just stand here and go, oh, thank you. It's by grace. That is, we don't earn it. So much in life teaches us the early bird gets the worm. No such thing as a free lunch. You've got to earn it. You've got to work for it. Grace, it has been given freely by a loving God. He's opened the way for us to come to God, which is why we read in Hebrews, verse 4, 16, so let us come boldly to the throne of grace, uh, to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We can come boldly before the throne of God. We can boldly to our Father who will give us the grace and mercy we need because we're his children. We can come there for forgiveness. We can come there for strength. We can come there for courage because we're his children and he's our Father. Amen. And so we see the psalmist in his distress and in the midst of a turmoil, he turns to God. He speaks to God. And we sang an elevation worship song this morning. I'm calling on the God of David. You made a shepherd boy courageous. I may not face Goliath, six cubits in a span, nine and a half feet tall, but I've got my own giant. I've got my own giant. So I come to you, Lord, because you're bigger and you're greater. And so we look to God, we speak to God. And we look to be guided by his light, his truth, his faithful care. Amen. So firstly, turn to God, you speak to God. Sound, you know, oh, this pretty we've got to do it. We've got to do it. Make it a well-worn track so it becomes our default. Not just to let our head drop. Start listening to all that negative head talk. 
So first, we speak to God. And second, he not only speaks to God, who else does he speak to? Verse 5. Speaks to himself. Speaks to his own soul. Uh, We read in verse 5, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Uh, When we're discouraged, when we're scared, when we're feeling insecure, we tend to listen to the fearful speculations of our heart, true? That that, that, that toxic negative head talk comes in. Who do you think you are? Oh, yeah. We just accept those lies as truth. And that so often happens, you know. Who do you think you are? You know, oh, no, what if this happens? And we start getting worried or anxious. But I I was reading these words of the great Welsh preacher, David Martin Lloyd-Jones. Have a listen to this. He once wrote, he said, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Ever think about that? Ever think about that? This poet's soul, it's been weighing him down. It's been crushing him, you know. And so um, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Self, shh, listen for a moment. I'm going to speak. And Lloyd-Jones goes on to say this. Have a listen to this. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself, and then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, uh, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself. Defy other people. Defy the devil and the whole world. And say with this man, I shall yet praise him, my Savior and my God. See, Pastor Jan uh, preached at the 6 p.m. recently, and she said we can't always rely on someone else to encourage us. And so we've got to be able to take hold of the word of God and speak it to ourselves. Really interesting. Um, Pastor Tim Keller notes that this psalm teaches us that change and hope come as we, in effect, argue with ourselves. It's interesting, eh? So in this psalm, the psalmist isn't just listening and accepting what his troubled heart says or the lies that are going on around him, but rather he takes his souls by the lapels and he says, no, no, things are tough at the moment, but God is your stronghold. God is your joy. God is your strength. He's your only safe haven. Come on, man, snap out of it. You pra- praise him, praise him. You will pra- I will praise him. You will not give in to despair. You will stand and you will get through this. So come on. You're a child of God. As one preacher puts it, pray to God for the light that you need in your heart and preach to yourself the truth that you need in your soul. A great, great habit to start walking out. Amen. And the psalmist finishes by saying, put your hope in God and by praising my Savior and my God. And again, for us living at a different time to this man, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our Savior. So when we look to Jesus, Jesus who came and gave his life for us, who who rose again in power, we can know that God is for us. Through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, 
He saved us and he's brought God's eternal life to us now. The Spirit lives with us now, strengthening us, guiding us, empowering us. And Jesus is our hope. And you see, we use hope in the sense of wish, don't we? Oh, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. You know? Yeah, I hope the warriors win. You know, hope, but we don't know. But 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 biblically hope is is a is a it's an assurance, it's a it's a firm and confident expectation of God doing something good in the future because of what he he's been in the past and his nature and character. So so I can stand now because because I know that. That's coming. The biblical hope is quite a different thing. And Jesus is our hope. If you're a child of God this morning and you're struggling with fear, then know that you can say with confidence, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? See, the difference of saying a faith-filled statement like that versus some of the head talk that can come in. No, no, no. Hang on. The Lord is my helper. I will have no fear. Okay? So I think back to my son's match. And, you know, I respected his humility. I respected his courage. You know, he was anxious. He was overwhelmed. He was intimidated. And it would have been very easy for him to become demoralized, eh? to become disheartened, to, to be frightened and pull back. I'll just sub me off. I'll, I'll just play on. I'll stand on the sidelines. been very easy for him to have done that. Or to throw up his hands and go, oh, this isn't fear. But the psalm teaches us in our turmoil to speak to God. And my son, instead of giving in to despair, wanders over to me in front of his mates, wasn't worried, and just said, oh, can you pray for me? And he stands with his dad, and together we pray. He speaks to God. In the midst of that turmoil, he comes to God. He comes to his dad, humbles himself, comes to God, humbles himself. Which I think is pretty amazing at any stage for a human being, let alone a 15-year-old. We bowed our heads. We spoke to God. He turned away from his enemies. He, he, he refused to play the head games that were going on. But the psalm also reveals the value of speaking to our soul. And I noticed in chatting with my son after the game, I noticed a change in his head talk. So it had gone, it had changed from pre-match, oh, this guy's huge, this is too hard, to oh, once I tackled him, I was fine. It wasn't that hard. And it was different. His demeanor changed. Some internal shift had taken place. And I'm sure his head talk must have changed. And as I reflected on that and I reflected on my own life, I realized that speaking God's truth to ourselves, taking your soul in hand, so to speak, is something that I can be more intentional about. I can be more purposed about. It's a, it's a, a habit I need to start working out more and more. I'm not the only one. Confronting that toxic head talk or the venomous lies that can enter our minds or the despondency that can just settle like a heavy blanket and just hold you down to the point where you won't speak up and you won't step out. And then we're robbed of the blessing of who God has created you to be because you're not walking in the fullness of life that God has for you. No, rather we can don the armor of God. We can stand up and speak to our own soul. Hey, hey, snap out of it, man. You're blessed. You're a child of God. Trust in God who loves you. Who are you going to believe? 
Who are you going to believe? Come on. You're better than this. Snap out of it. Those aren't scriptural phrases, but they might be nice little links between scriptural phrases. So as I close uh, this morning, we're faced by people or situations or circumstances that loom large, yeah? We can be dealing with change or loss, maybe health issues, medical reports, financial burdens, relational pressures. For us at home, maybe dealing with difficult people or strained relations with family, and it can all get intimidating. It can pull the rug out from under us. It can take our courage, steal our strength, take away our joy. So God's word here tells us, first what? Speak to God. Turn to God. Speak to God. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Hey, that's what the old song says. Oh, what needless pain. Uh, oh, oh, what needless pain we Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Turn to God. Speak to God. Cry out to God to rescue you, but ask God to lead you to himself, to bring, him, to bring you closer to him. And second, what second? Speak to yourself. Speak to your soul. Preach to yourself. Reject the, the toxic and negative head talk that can so easily fill the airwaves of our mind on an endless loop. Resist the devil. Wield your faith as a shield. Your trust in God. Lift your head. Speak God's truth to your spirit, to your relationships, to your family, to your work, your enterprises, to your past, to your present to your future, to the anxiety that's affecting your future, to the shame that's affecting your past, speak God's truth. The psalmist finishes in the midst of his struggle and questioning, why my soul are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Saviour and my God.